Christians often refer to themselves as saved. But what does it mean to be saved? What are they saved from? What are we saved from? Hi, I'm Yvonne Pren, and welcome to Bible 805. In today's podcast, we'll talk about the meaning of salvation and how to get from wherever we are on our spiritual journey to that destination. Our roadmap for this journey is found in the book of Romans. Today we're going to look at Romans. It is one of the most significant books in the Bible because it is a complete and systematic explanation of the Christian faith. It's different from the other letters of the New Testament that we've already talked about. These were written to specific churches to address specific problems, but this is a book that was written to everyone, everywhere, really at all times, and it clarifies the faith, what the Christian faith is really about. The book of Romans has done that ever since it was written, and one of the most prominent examples probably of someone who was influenced by it, of course, is Martin Luther. He was a priest and he was constantly, even though he was theoretically a man of God, he was constantly tormented by sin and feeling that he just couldn't conquer it. He could not feel forgiven. He later becomes a teacher, a lecturer in theology, and he's continued to struggle. But when he was preparing a class on the book of Romans, he came across Across the verse where it says, and the just will live by faith. And as one of his biographers said, finally, he realized the key to spiritual salvation was not to fear God or be enslaved by religious dogma, but to believe that faith alone would bring salvation. Now, this, of course, marked a major change in his life, and it set in motion the entire Protestant Reformation. Luther gave credit to the Book of Romans for this change in his life, and he says in his introduction to his translation of Romans, this letter is truly the most important piece in the New Testament. It is purest gospel. It is well worth a Christian's while not only to memorize it word for word, (laughs) probably most of us today won't do that, but would be a good idea, excuse me, let me go on with what he had to say, but also to occupy himself with it daily, as though it were the daily bread of the soul. It is impossible to read or meditate on this letter too much or too well. The more one deals with it, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. That is so true with the book of Romans that it is really the core book explanation of our faith. And I hope in this podcast and in the next one to help you understand it and get to know it a little bit better. First of all, some basic facts about the book of Romans. It was written by the Apostle Paul. He was in Corinth at the time, and he wanted to go to Rome, but he already actually knew a lot of people that were there. We see this in the book, how he addresses a number of specific people. There was a lot of travel in the ancient world back and forth. The Roman roads were guarded. They were saved by the Roman legions, and there was really quite a bit of travel back and forth. And Paul knew a lot of people from there. He knew people that were living there. But he decides to write a letter before he goes to visit them. Now, it's kind of interesting. 
what actually happened to get him to Rome. He did go, but it didn't go quite as he had planned. First, he went to Jerusalem. He went there to take an offering to God's people that he had collected while he was in uh, in Greece and Macedonia, and he goes down to Jerusalem. There he was arrested. There were a group of Jews there that just hated him. They felt that this new religion that he was preaching was destroying Judaism, and they were they were determined to destroy him, but he was though he was arrested he was kept from them he went to various regional authorities uh, he appeared before kings he appeared, appeared before councils he was just sort of shuffled around to all these people that didn't want to make a decision what to do with him this actually took over two years that he was in one prison to another and finally he says i appeal to caesar and his judge at the time says, well, then to Caesar, you will go. Now, the journey wasn't over just with that decision. In the book of Acts, we see how Paul and Luke and their other traveling companions encountered shipwrecks and challenges and more and more trials. But it finally says in the book of Acts, and so we came to Rome. And what happened when he got there is it says the brothers and sisters has heard that we were coming and they traveled as far as the forum of Appius and the three taverns to greet us. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Then he meets with the Jewish people there. He tells what had happened. And the book ends with him, it says, for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ, all with boldness and without hindrance. Now, the wonderful application and challenges from this is we may have a sense of where God is leading us in our lives, but the way he does it, the way he gets us there may be very surprising. In Paul's situation, he wanted to go to Rome. He felt God wanted him there, but he had no idea that arrest, shipwreck, imprisonment for two years, before appearing before all these people, that all these things would happen. But they did. And even though they seemed like a challenge, they seemed like a really difficult thing, when you look at it closely, it was so extraordinary because the leaders of the Jews, Felix, King Agrippa, their wives, the entire court, the soldiers, the guards, all of the important people of the different areas that he was shuffled around to, they were all called together to go hear what this crazy guy had to say or to make judgment on him or to try to understand it or whatever. You see, God assembled all of these people who Paul would have never had a chance to talk to had he just been traveling through their lands on the way to Rome. He would have never, never had, he would, he, for example, could have gone to King Agrippa's court and said, you know, I think that next week let's set up a time where King Agrippa and his queen and all of his soldiers and judges and all of them, they can kind of get together and hear me preach at them. Let, how, how's that sound, guys? Well, of course, it's, it's kind of silly to even suggest it. 
he couldn't do that. But the Lord wanted these people to hear. And so even though Paul was a prisoner, and it didn't really matter, because more than his chains, he always said, I am a messenger of the gospel. And he got to preach to all of these people he never would have been able to preach to. His life during this time is really a living illustration of Romans 8.28, where it says that all things work together for good for them who love God. And Paul trusted in that, and he eventually gets to Rome. But the book was written before all of that happened. And as I said, he lays out the entire Christian faith, and this well-known summary of it, some have referred to calling it the Romans Road. There are lots of variations on it, and if you just Google that online, you can see all sorts of little charts and things like that. But basically what it is, it is a step-by-step explanation using the book of Romans from literally from creation to salvation. So what do we need to know? What do we need to believe? How does a person become saved? But one of the things that it also talks about, and we're not going to get into this until the next podcast, is it doesn't just stop with salvation as the end goal of the Christian life. As I've sometimes said, you know, the Christian life is not just about fire insurance from hell. Now, that's kind of important. I mean, that's really important. That is what we are literally saved from, the coming wrath, when God will return and this earth will be judged. That's what we're saved from. But we shouldn't stop there. We need to go on in our journey to what's called sanctification, to becoming like Jesus. But we'll get to that next week. Right now, we're going to go over the Romans road to salvation. So here it is, step one. And please do, more than probably many of the other podcasts, download the notes from this that will be very helpful to you. But step one, it starts out with God who reveals himself. This is in Romans one twenty, where it says, for, the creation of, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For though they knew God, they neither glorified him as God or gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. This is humanity's situation. They knew there was a God, but they decided to turn away from him. So that's where we get to step two. Romans 3.23, where sin turns people away from God. In Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You see, turning away from God, going our own way, that is what defines sins. Not just these piddly little things. That's all a result of turning away from God. But all humanity sinned in that starting with Adam's choice in the Garden of Eden, he decided that he was not going to listen to God. He was going to listen to his wife and to the serpent, and he was going to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil when God said, don't do that. And the consequences of him doing that we live out today because even though we may not repeat Adam's sin, From a very young child, we know that we want to go our own way. We don't want anybody to tell us what to do. That's what sin is, turning away from God. But it's not an action without consequences. Romans 6.23, this is step three, goes on to say, For the wages of sin is death. 
but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Since God, you see, is the source of life, to be cut off from God is to experience death. God told Adam, he said, Adam and Eve, he said, when you eat of it, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. And the word there, to die, it's the Hebrew word muath, to die, What's important here, though, is to look at the tense of the word. It's in the imperfect tense. And what this tense is defined as, one that does not relate so much as to one occasion, but as to as to a continued condition. In other words, you could translate it this way, as one commentator did, dying, you will die. In this life, if you are not properly related to God, you literally die a slow death. And then when you die a physical death, you are completely separated from God for all eternity. That's what eternal death is. And you see, it's not so much, people don't go to hell because God says, oh, you know, you're just awful and terrible and I'm, you know, whatever. No, people choose that on their own. If you don't want to be related or have a relationship with God, who is the source of life, the natural consequence of it is death. Again, as one commentator said, people, um, if during their life they don't say to God, your will be done, when they die, God will say to them, your will be done. You didn't want me? So I'm not going to force you to spend eternity with me. So the core of it is that without God, people live a meaningless life and eternal darkness will be the result of their sins. But then the good news starts in step four. Romans 5, 8 said, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. A penalty had to be paid. And we'll talk about this more in the later part of the lesson when we talk about some of the terms that explain our salvation. But God paid the penalty through the person of Jesus. The way some have explained it is to say, imagine you were appearing before a judge who says, you are guilty of this horrible, horrible crime. And you knew that you couldn't pay for it. You couldn't pay the fines. You, could, you wouldn't live long enough to do the time. It was horrible sin. But what if the judge himself took off his robes, came down from the bench, and said, I'll pay it for you. You see, that's what Jesus did. And you see, our salvation, then, it's not based on us, on any good things we do, because we can't do enough good for it. The whole idea is echoed in John 3.16, where it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him, that's all you have to do, should not perish, but have eternal life. Again, we don't earn it or deserve it. You see, that is what is unique about the Christian faith among all the religions in the world. In every other religion, humanity needs to do certain things to be pleasing to God. But as all of us 
can attest to if we're honest with ourselves, we know that we just can't do them. We can't keep doing what's right for 10 minutes, you know, um, let alone live a whole life that way. Karma can't ever be satisfied. If you are a Hindu, you don't even know what your ancestor did or your previous life did. What, you know, how are you going to atone for that? There's no way humanity can atone for their old, their own sins. But in Christianity, Jesus pays a debt that we couldn't pay. Now, it does seem too good to be true, and in many ways it is, but it's, it is a free gift, but God does expect us to live in a way that honors Him if we accept that gift, and we'll, we'll be talking about that more next week. But what we need to do before then is we need to receive that salvation from Jesus. And that's step five, Romans 10, 9, where it says, If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's it. It says, For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and with your mouth that you confess and are saved. You see, we need to make both this inward decision where we, in prayer, say to God, I believe in you. I accept what Jesus did on my behalf. I accept that he paid for my sins. And then we need to let people know what we've done. It's an individual act of faith. You must personally, as some have termed, close with Jesus. I really like that term. That comes from the early 1900s. And when you think about closing with Jesus, you think, well, that kind of sounds like a real estate transaction. And that's really where the term came from. And I think it explains it so well. You can look at a house. You can think it's wonderful. You can walk all around it. You can visit it, whatever. But until you close on it, until you put down your money, you sign that contract, it isn't yours. And you see, it's the same way with Jesus. You can think, oh, he's a nice man. He was, well, he's a wonderful teacher. He's to be admired. You might visit a church. You might think all of these things are great. But until you have that personal transaction with Jesus, it's only then that you close with him and you are saved. And then, step six, the results of salvation. This is where it's really good. In Romans 8, 1, it says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. By accepting Jesus' death as payment for our sins, we will never be condemned for them. And Romans 5, 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And again, repeating Romans 6.23, but a little bit different emphasis. Sin pays its wage, death, but God's free gift is eternal life in union with Christ Jesus our Lord. And you see, these are just the beginning of the wonderful things that God gives us once we belong to Jesus. Now, our salvation is really so extraordinary. It's really worth a closer look. Now, what I've just gone through, these are the steps on the Roman road, but let's take a few minutes to really look at the meaning of our salvation in a little more depth. Now, I'm going to get into some big words, and a lot of this comes from this wonderful book, The Ten Basic Steps to Christian Maturity. But these words are important. If you haven't heard them, 
or if you hear them sometime in the course of, of going to a church, I want you to know what they mean. These are some other big theological words that describe what happens when we are saved. So let's look at them. The first two are atonement and propitiation. Atonement means to cover or to pardon sin. It has the idea of costly satisfaction. In the Old Testament, this was temporary with the sacrifice of the lambs. But with Christ's death, it became permanent. The same word is also often tra translated as propitiation. Now that, that's one that you probably won't hear outside of theological churchy circles. But this word means satisfaction. It's the most important aspect of the cross because it deals with the very character of God. God could not, will not, compromise his attributes of righteousness and justice which were outraged by man's deliberate violation of his will. But God's character of love motivated him to provide a way he could bring man back to fellowship with himself without compromising his attributes of absolute righteousness and justice. God's holy character demanded that man's sin be paid for. Man who is born a sinner could not do this because he had no true righteousness in himself. But God is absolute righteousness. Therefore, God came into the world, God himself, in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was born without sin. That's why the virgin birth was so important. And never committed an act of sin. Possessing the righteousness of God, he qualified to bear all the holy wrath of God that was due the human race. In doing so, he satisfied the just demands of God's holy character against the human race, thus setting God's love to free to pour out on humanity. Some key verses on this in John, 1 John 4.10, it says, Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us, and sent his son to be the propitiation, the covering, the atonement for our sins. Again in Romans three twenty-three through 25 it says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth to be the propitiation through faith in his blood. Now the term redemption. There are three Greek words that are translated to redeem. The first means to buy, the second to buy out, and the third to ransom in order to set free. You see, all men are born sinners, and as theologians have described this, they're in the slave market of sin. When the Bible speaks of redemption, it means that Christ, the only free person who ever lived, because he was the only one who was born sinless and lived a sinless life, so he was not in the slave market of sin. He paid the ransom price of his own blood in order to purchase sinners out of the slave market of sin and set them free to become sons of God. Now there's lots of Old Testament examples of this. There is God redeeming Israel from Egypt. There's a kinsman redeemer in Ruth. And probably my very favorite story is in the book of Hosea, where Hosea's wife. He's, he's told to marry an immoral woman. She cheats on him. She runs off. She's living with another man. He gets sick of her and so he actually sells her as a slave. And God says to Hosea, 
I want you to go and show love to her and buy her back from the slave market. And he does that as a picture of how God buys back his people. Of our own free will, we still do things that makes us slaves of sin. And in fact, Jesus, when he was preaching one time, he said, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. If the son, and he was referring to himself, sets you free, you will be free indeed. Colossians 1.13 puts it this way, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Another term is sacrifice, and this term looks back to the sacrifices of the Old Testament that pointed forward to the time of the sacrifice of Christ. You see, all these sacrifices in the Old Testament of the lambs, of the bull, of the different animals, the birds, flower, different things like that, they were object lessons teaching the sinful condition of the people and showing them that God would provide a way by which they could be reconciled to him. The sacrifices were costly. They would could only be made with the very best that you had. They were really a horrible thing. Blood was shed. It cost a life. Now, what's important to realize, though, in this object lesson is that the idea of sacrifice is not a human idea. But God's idea of sacrifice has to be done His way. Many heathen religions have used sacrifice, but they do it for very different reasons, to appease an idol, a god, to use as magic, to entice a demon, to partake of some animal characteristic. But none of these have anything to do with the Jewish and Christian idea of sacrifice. It's interesting how the how John the Baptist identified Christ with all the Old Testament sacrifices when he saw Jesus coming before him. And he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, this whole idea of Jesus becoming a sacrifice, of shedding his blood, that seems so weird. Um, you know, why did God do it that way? Why did God have to punish sin that way? And the answer is, we don't know. That's, uh, that's just the way it is. In the Chronicles of Narnia, that's what uh, the author refers to as the deep magic of heaven. And don't let that term magic uh, throw you off. There are just certain things in the way that God constructed our universe and this is the way that he chose to give us salvation. C.S. Lewis said that when he truly understood the idea of sacrifice and what Jesus did to become our Savior, he said that he was able to trust Christianity then because he realized this is nothing that a human would have made up. One more term, justification. Now, justification is a legal term, which signifies position. It's the idea that the justified individual is declared righteous because of what Jesus did. Again, Romans 5, 1, this wonderful, wonderful verse. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, made right with God, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In Romans 3, 20-24, Therefore no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, 
It is through the law that we become conscious of sin, but, a, but now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been no, men made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And it is a redemption that is full and is complete. Remember, when Jesus died on the cross, his final words were, tell to die, which means it is finished. It is paid in full. One of, I think, the most powerful illustrations that we did of this when we were teaching our singles class is on a lesson on justification. We ended it by having everyone write down on a little piece of paper the sins that they felt most horrible about, that they really felt that God couldn't forgive them for. And it was pretty heavy duty. And then we had people sort of lay them in front of them. And then we had a rubber stamp that we'd gotten from the office supply store. And we had a red ink pad. And we went around on each one of them and stamped, paid in full. Because they are. That's what Jesus did on the cross for us. And then because that debt is paid in full, then our final term, reconciliation. The root word, uh, the root meaning of the word means to change a person from enmity to friendship. Now the theological meaning applies not only to man who is said to be born in enmity with God, but you see reconciliation that removed the enmity, that removed the barrier, and now people are at peace with God. In Romans 5, 10, and 11 it says, For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And then, how are we supposed to act because of that? In 2 Corinthians 5, 14-20, it says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Because Christ reconciled us to God, he now gives us the opportunity to reach out and reconcile others to God also. It is an extraordinary journey along this Roman road from condemned humanity to forgiven, no condemnation, to be at peace with God. But that's not the end of the journey. Next week, We're going to talk about how we should live as redeemed, justified people who owe our life and breath and everything to our gracious and forgiving God. So don't forget to join us next week to find out.
That's all for now. Please check out the notes from this lesson there in downloadable PDF format, along with other materials on www.bible805.com. And please subscribe to this podcast so that you don't miss any in this series. And let your friends know about it so they can be encouraged as they learn more about God. Until next time, I'm Yvonne Prynne, your fellow pilgrim, writer, and teacher for Jesus. And I'd like to close with this benediction. May you know the invitation of God to move from confusion to clarity, from wandering to rest, from loneliness to knowing you are loved, from turmoil to peace, from wherever you are on your spiritual journey to a growing knowledge of God's Word and in your personal relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.